0: This is Tracy L. Flatten hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I'm so happy to welcome you to the show today. We've got a great show lined up for you. Um, and I just want to say that I'm getting over a cold, so if my voice cracks or if I sneeze, then you know, don't hold it against me. So I'm really happy that so many people are listening to the show I'm getting lots of nice comments through the email, um, and people are listening live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. So thank you for tuning in, and I really hope you're enjoying the interviews. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities, and today's guest really does, so that's cool. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516 453 6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com/slash independent artist thinkers. And the chat is open, and I see at least one person in the chat room. So welcome to the chat room. Thanks for typing. Uh, email me in between guests, in between shows, if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest. Um, you can reach me at Tracy at Tracy L. and it's T-R-A-C-I. And I don't have a lot of guests lined up yet because I'm thinking about moving platforms. Um, there's a lot of commercials on Blog Talk Radio and I just don't feel that's fair to listeners. Um, it's very hard to listen on certain devices. So I'm thinking about changing platforms. Uh, so I haven't really lined up as many um, guests as I usually do. But stay tuned and keep checking the website, independentartistthinkers.com. And the Blog Talk Radio site, and um, and there'll be announcements if I change um, platforms, and I'll you'll see who the new guests are who are coming up. I am so happy, so delighted today to have World War One Memorial Design Winner Joe Weishar as our guest. Joe Weishar is a 2013 graduate of the University of Arkansas Fay Jones School of Architecture. At 25, he is a relative newcomer to the architecture profession. He has three and a half years experience working for firms in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and in Chicago, Illinois. Previously, Joe served as a project architect at Brennan Stuhl & Lynch Architecture Design. He now owns and operates his own small consulting business. JW Designs provides architectural rendering services and short-term contracting to help design professionals meet deadlines on a project-by-project basis. And I know how professional Joe is and what good work he does and what a hard worker he is. So I, I encourage anyone listening who needs this kind of help to contact him. Currently, Joe is completing the architecture licensing exams with the intention of beginning his own practice within the next five years. To date, Joe has entered and been recognized in three national and international architecture competitions. Most recently, he was selected to design the National World War I Memorial in Washington, D.C., in 2011, he placed second individually in the Lyceum Fellowship competition sponsored by the Lyceum Fellowship in Boston. In 2010, he was a part of the team that completed the Habs-Haber documentation of the Van and Jones residence, which garnered the Peterson Prize for historic documentation. Weishauer has traveled extensively to participate in design studios caught in Mexico City in the... At the Casa Barragon and to Europe under the auspices of the Lyceum Traveling Fellowship. In 2012, he used this opportunity to take up residence in Rome in order to study the ancient housing typologies of Pompeii. Joe is an active oil pastel painter and has participated in multiple gallery exhibitions in Chicago. He is an avid outdoorsman and Eagle Scout. You can find out more about Joe at Com. that's spelled w e i s h a a r design.com. Joe, hello, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, Tracy. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thank you for coming Pleasure on. To be. So, I have to acknowledge to my listeners that you know, your partners and you chose my husband, Sabin to be on the World War 1 memorial project. Uh-huh. So we're really yeah. grateful, and Sabin's delighted to be working with you.
1: Oh, uh, and it's pleasure to be working with Sabin. Uh, pleasure to be working with somebody of such talent.
0: Thank you. Yes, I think he has a lot of talent, but people tell me I'm biased, if accurate. So <laughs> here's, <laughs> yeah. here's my... No, in that case, song.
1: I'm kind of
0: biased, too. Oh, that's good. That's We like that kind of bias. So here's my usual opening question for my guest. And it's a big one. Okay. Um, And I like this opening question because it really situates listeners into who you are and what you're about. So you can take it and run with it and answer the question the way it feels best to you. So this is it. How did you begin your journey, and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have, and when did you know you were going to be involved in architecture? Was architecture and entering competitions a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? I mean, did you have fantasy about baseball or something? So talk about your childhood and lead up until now.
1: Wow. Okay, all the way back from my childhood. Um, so actually, I guess the good place to start is back in high school. Um, uh, up through kind of my senior year of high school, I'd always wanted to be a mechanical engineer or something like that. I was big into robotics and kind of designing small structures, uh, but architecture was not on my radar at all. And then in my senior year of high school, I finally had a chance to uh, kind of had a free elective opportunity. And so I signed up for an intro to art class. And, you know, most of the class was just working on the color wheel and things like that. Uh, but closer to the latter half of the class, uh, we got to do watercolor painting. And even though we were just using like, the Crayola paints, uh, it was something I picked up really quick and found that I had this great knack for. And uh was kinda of recognized by uh by my art teacher this time and regrettably I can't remember her name. Um but she asked me after one of the classes, you know, what have you thought about dealing with your life after this? She said, have you considered uh, going being an artist? So, and I said, oh, no, I'm going to be a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you know, why don't you kind of look into it? She said, because, you know, I've known great people who uh, became architects and then, you know, in their later career became painters. And she like, I think you could do something like that. So... I said, okay. So uh, there's a architecture program at the University of Arkansas um, in my hometown. It's very convenient. And so I actually ended up signing up. Uh, and day one of college, I think, it was probably within the first 10 minutes of that opening class, I knew that this is what I wanted to do with my life and didn't want to do anything else. Uh, and so, yeah, I went through school, um, and it's a five year program. Uh it was just tons of work, but it, absolutely all of it was phenomenal and a great a uh, great experience. Um, as you kinda led with your show opener, I, I did have quite a bit of success in college, um <laughs> on the the traveling front and the, the competition front. And you know, I can't say that those, those things really especially with competitions, can't say that they led me to where I am, but the, the traveling was a big part of, I think, where I am now. And through those experiences, I got opportunities at uh, internships and really got to start kind of building a little bit of work and getting some experience under my belt. Mm-hmm. Um, back in, let's see, so I graduated in May of 2013, and was just, you know, absolutely sure that I was going to go get a great job somewhere, and you know, everybody would just be lining up to hire me because, you know, they don't tell you anything otherwise in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I graduated. I went off to uh, Portland, and then to Seattle, and you know, tried to find a firm to work for out there. Mm-hmm. And so I went out kind of on a two week uh, trip and met probably about 10 firms. And out. I don't remember how many resumes, but probably 30 resumes and got nothing back. No. Um, and realized that everybody at the time um, was just looking for somebody who lived in the area and they were looking for mostly temp workers. Um, the economy and architecture still wasn't great at the time. And so everybody wanted to hire somebody for like three months, just to get through the next project. Remember the mm-hmm. next pump. So, kind of having learned that, and I went back to Arkansas and went back to several of the firms I'd interned with, and I would call them every morning and say, "Do you need help with something?" And so I became this freelance guy for about eight months, eight nine months, and every morning I'd call people and see what they need to, what new work they need done. And, you know, it was just, it was a lot of work. Um, I did kind of 11 hour days, I think, for Mm -hmm. the nine months straight, uh, six days a week at least. And, you know, it got me a lot of the experience I needed um, to start at least wanting to get my license and get the hours required for registration and licensure. Um, and, you know, I got a lot of exposure on a lot of projects. I, at one point, I was doing five houses at once. Wow. Amongst three different firms. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, a, it was a great time. Um, but at the same time, I was starting to get a little bit burnt out. And so back was February of uh, 2014, um, one of the guys I knew from architecture school, who I actually traveled and lived with in Mexico City, um, put out on Facebook that uh, their firm, Brennan Stool and Lynch in Chicago, was looking for somebody who had, uh, you know, relatively my qualifications, but just said, "Hey, we're hiring." Mm-hmm. So, just kind of jokingly, I uh, answered him back on Facebook and just said, "Sign me up." Uh-huh. And he called me ten minutes later wow. and said, "Are you serious?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, of course." So he so, said, "Okay, send out your resume, and we'll." try and filter it through. So I sent them my resume the next day. So see the day he put on Facebook was Friday. I sent my resume on Saturday. Uh the firm called me at like eight AM Monday morning and I moved to Chicago the following Friday. Wow. So it was a week uh start to finish when I was when I was in Chicago, uh, from the call. And it was one of those great opportunities where you just had to – I just had to drop everything and go for it.
0: Right.
1: Um, and I lived on his couch for two months.
0: Oh, my God. And
1: he started up uh, kind of working a professional architecture firm. So that was a great transition.
0: I have a couple so of a great
1: questions. Yeah, a
0: couple questions, Joe. Okay, so first of all, you going back to you said within 10 minutes of your first class in architecture – you knew that was what you wanted to do. Do you remember the exact yeah. moment that the light bulb went on over your head? What was being said, or what were you looking at? Was the teacher showing something?
1: Um, yeah, so they're showing us uh, a couple plans of kind of famous buildings, things I'd never heard of, and then they told us to go out and buy a sheet of Arches watercolor paper. And again, it's like I have no idea what this is, um, but at the same time, it was really exciting to have something to be working on and be seeing these things that I'd never gotten to experience. And so I, I think um, it's probably uh, like the Lake Corbusier project was being shown. Um, and I had just never gotten to see anything like that and see uh, architecture plan and the section and the elevations and then how it relates to- to just photograph of the project. And yeah, I was captivated. Um, and so that really, that was my first moment. Just I knew exactly this is what I wanted to do.
0: That's cool. And and then let me ask you, what in you gave you the courage or the initiative to start entering contests?
1: Um, So, let's see. The one that I did for the Habs Submission. Uh, That was actually a class that I took my second year. And we didn't really know at the start of the class that we were going to be submitting to the National Archives. Um, But the further into the documentation that we got for the house, uh, the more apparently it became that, you know, it's something that needs a little bit more recognition. And if we can enter this competition, you know, do well, then that's really going to bring the level of recognition to the house that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that one I wouldn't say was had anything to do with my desires for entering the competition. That was just something that uh, the teacher wanted us to do. Um, and the school wanted us to do to you know, bolster kind of our, uh, I guess, our drawing set and, um, you know, see where it goes. And then, and so, I mean, winning, that was a kind of a big surprise for us as the class, um, uh-huh. and because uh, the Peterson Prize so that's the uh, top kind of set of archival documents submitted to the National Archives and the Historic and Building Survey each year. Um, so yeah, to have uh, a set of drawings from the National Archives was was really cool. That is cool. Um, yeah,
0: but were you and the- then
1: uh, oh, go show. ahead
0: were you the kind of kid who entered contests as, when you were a little kid? I mean, in my... I no, not
1: at all. Here,
0: so you're still a kid in my eyes, but... <laughs>
1: yeah, no, um, that was one of the first competitions I had ever placed anything into. And um, that
0: sparked the so, idea that you could enter more.
1: Um, Even at that point, no. Uh, <laughs> the next one was also kind of through school, and it was Uh, So the Lyceum Fellowship um, is an invitation-only competition extended to uh, multiple universities, I think 14 or so universities in the U.S., Canada, and maybe one in Russia. Um, And somehow Arkansas has been on the list the last couple of years, and so uh, our third-year studio professors urged us to submit our designs for one of our third-year projects to the competition. Uh, I'm not even sure if urge is the right word. It might have been mandatory.
0: Oh, really? Uh, Okay.
1: But, yeah. Uh, But that was another one where, you know, I liked the design I had, but wasn't sure, you know, where it was going. And um, I just had to send it off. (laughs) And, yeah, to to have gotten second place in that competition really changed the last two years of my education. because the foundation, you know, paid for me to travel to Rome, and to study abroad for five months, and just I had an apartment in Rome, and I think I went to 15 wow. countries. Um, but the exposure to uh, the European architecture styles and uh, sitting in piazzas and getting exposed to art and things like that really, really uh, changed the way I saw the world.
0: Yeah, um, I think so, Rome is one of my favorite city.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, I think probably one of mine too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so I don't know, after, after know. that point, then I felt better about entering competitions on my own. Um, but well, tell I us about entering the
0: World War One design yeah. competition.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, so I was going to say I didn't enter anything between my third year of college and the World War One memorial competition. So I'm still uh, three for three on competitions and I'm I'm pretty happy with <laughs> with that record.
0: You are batting it down um
1: Yeah. Yeah at the moment. Um, so yeah, I enter uh came across the World War One Memorial Competition back in May. Um I had just finished up a couple of my first three tests for licensure, and was looking to take the summer off from studying. Uh, but I still needed something to kind of occupy my evening, And I came across the competition online. And what struck me as kind of immediate reaction of, wait, there's not a National World War One Memorial? Uh-huh. And I thought that was really strange. And so I did a little bit of quick research, and found, no there's, no, no, there's not a National Memorial. So... At that point, I think I was hooked on the competition, and uh, the fact that the commission made it open to just the general public, uh, was it's very rare to see competitions open to the public uh, mm-hmm. and to non-licensed professionals, and so that was also something that was like, okay, wow, I can, I can be a part of this. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, I was just instantly hooked and started designing right away. Um, and I worked on that for about a month or so uh, in the evenings, you know, three to four hours a night uh, after I came uh-huh. home from work and on the weekends.
0: Wait, wait, uh, I and, have a question. wait, wait, Joe. Yeah. One, what did your parents yeah. say Did you when you told them you were entering? And two, I read something about you, you turned your closet into a workspace.
1: <laughs> I did, I did. So I didn't uh, have an office at all in my apartment, and I – looking for a place to set up my computer. And so uh, one day I just opened my closet up and I was like, hi, this could work. And so I set my computer up on one of the shelves. And uh, for some reason there was a plug and outlet in my closet. And so that made it really convenient. Yeah. And um, just from that point on, I uh, just started working. And actually, even after I'd made uh the short list of the competition. I think I kept working that way for about three months. Um but, right, well, yeah, put
0: that. Uh, so what did your parents uh, say? Uh, yeah, what did your
1: parents say? Um so I, let's see, I told them after I submitted and they were a bit surprised that I just gone out and found a competition, but they they thought it was really cool. Um I think my dad said like oh boy, wouldn't it be really cool if you had won <laughs> um <laughs> So, and I, yeah, I agree. That'd be really cool. Um, But we had no idea at that point. And when the call came in.
0: Wait, wait, I want to go back. Where Where
1: did
0: you get your idea for it? And what was it like as you were going into the initial submission? And then what did you do between Uh the time of the initial submission and the time you heard you made the shortlist? So start talking about that time.
1: Sure. Um, So let me work through all the questions, Um, I began uh, actually just looking at the site, and I think a lot of the training that I got in school was uh, based on observation and looking at a place and trying to figure out where, you know, maybe there are problems in the site, um, or what doesn't quite work about this, and why, what can make it better? And so, starting from that angle, it was actually pretty apparent that, you know, most of the Park is actually pretty nice and could be saved. Um, and so, using that as the departure point, um, I started building more of my experiences in Mexico and Rome, looking at plazas and piazzas and how do we use urban space in this country. And um, so, you know, then the concept became okay, there's going to be more of an urban plaza, there's going to be uh, an upper kind of lawn area that. You know, se- separated somehow. Um and at that point, I wasn't exactly sure how that separation was going to occur. Um, but the more I got into, you know, learning about World War One and looking at pictures online, I started coming across um, all these kind of battlefield cemeteries over in Europe. And you know, you get get the rows and rows of graves. Mm-hmm. Um, but amongst all those, there are just, like great lawn spaces that are kind of have trees on both sides um, and they're really kind of this. I'm trying to think of the good um, humble spaces but they're so separated and serene from kind of that chaos of the battlefield cemetery mm. um, that I just starting to think you know okay something like this would be really great uh, to incorporate into the design and you know give us people in D C you know great green space and a lawn that they can have picnics on. Um and that really started generating kind of the upper lawn area of the park. hmm And then I still have that question of, okay, well how do I separate, you know, the upper lawn and the lower urban plaza? And so, you know, started looking at other memorials and and did a little bit of looking at Vietnam Memorial and the Korean Memorial and like, you know, it could do this like in Mexico, where urban space is defined by landforms. And the Mexican design on the whole is more about manipulation of the ground surfaces rather than manipulation of things like walls. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, well, I'll just put up edges to this raised portion, and that will become the memorial. Uh, and so, yeah, from kind of the idea of having the race center to walls was probably like an hour or so quick decision. Um, Uh But then from there on it filled uh, almost two sketchbooks of rejected ideas about how those walls should move around the site. Um, And I think the first submission was almost too simple. And so I'm really glad the commission kind of pulled it out. Um, as one of the selected uh, shortlisted designs, mm-hmm. um, but I, I thought it was you something that, you know pretty strange.
0: How did you find out that you were on the shortlist?
1: Um, so I just come out of a meeting actually, and noticed that I had two phone calls <laughs> and uh, voicemail, and the voicemail just said, uh, "This is like Don Statsny in Portland, Oregon. Like, give us a call." Uh-huh. okay that's random um gave him a call and it was kind of one of those are you sitting down <laughs> kind <laughs> of phone calls I uh-huh. <laughs> like no but there was a uh there was a bus stop bench a couple <laughs> feet away so I went over and sat on that and yeah they told me that I had made the short list and that was almost a bigger just shock than you know finding I'd won the competition uh, a couple months later um but, you know, what it was, was
0: the first thing you probably did? Probably the best phone call think. of my life. Yeah, I bet. What was the first thing you did um, after you found out?
1: So, the first thing I did was call my dad. <laughs> uh, and I got that kind of shock and disbelief. <laughs> the yeah. And then, uh called my girlfriend. And then, I think I called my sister. And then, I called my mom. <laughs> went through the whole list. And then, I uh, actually. I went back to work for the rest of the day after that. Uh-huh. Um, Were you and Were you, I was you, clustered like, from telling anybody for 24 hours. Oh, absolutely. Well, okay. at the same time, I didn't know that much. They just said, hey, you made a short list, and we'll contact you later with more details." Okay. Um, so, yeah, I was on cloud nine. At the same time, I was like, I don't know what this means, and uh, what am I going to do going forward? And so... Back, I guess it was like the well, late part of August, first bit of September, when I'd kind of gotten all the materials and started going through the debriefing with the commission. Um, that was when I you know, had to start deciding to take steps on how I was going to move forward with my career.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and actually had a had a really hard weekend. One weekend trying to decide, you know, should I quit my job? What, what do I do? Because uh, I still have to pay rent. And, you know, this commission was not going to pay me at all for the project. So I had to figure out just do I even do this? Um, So there were some hard decisions made, but, you know, I'm glad everything worked out. Um, So I actually ended up not quitting. I didn't quit. Uh, I kept working part-time all the way through uh, the second stage of the competition. And, you know, it was a lot of work because it kept being – things like working eight-hour days and then coming home and spending four hours working on the memorial design to make it through the end of stage two. And I was traveling a lot, uh, trying to find to work with. I uh, called Saban um, pretty early uh, in September.
0: Hold on one sec. I'm going to play my – I have a little advertisement for my books I play. We're about halfway through. So hold on a sec, then we'll come back and we'll hear about – You know, at the risk of promoting my own self interest even more. You could talk about choosing Saban Howard. So hold one sec.
1: When you find an author you love, you read everything they publish. International best-selling author Tracy L. Slatten is one of those writers. Her book Immortal is a rags to riches to burnt at the stake story of an orphan boy in Renaissance Florence. Broken is the story of a fallen angel in Nazi-occupied Paris. And her award-winning romantic paranormal dystopian after-book series. Also her bittersweet sci-fi romantic comedy The Love of My Other Life. Read one and you will be hooked. Find all of her books at tracylslatton.com.
0: Okay, Joe, are you there?
1: I'm there. I'm here.
0: I, I have to advertise my book. So, all right, so now I'm going to yeah. continue to promote my own self-interest. Talk about choosing Sabin uh, Howard, my husband, as the sculptor, and what led you to him.
1: Sure. All right. Yeah, so uh, I went to the first debriefing, Wait, uh, the first week of September. Joe, so yep. we've got yep. a
0: beeping in the background. Can you get away so, from I'm that? I'm
1: sorry. Uh, hopefully. I'm not sure what's coming from. Somewhere on the street. Okay. Outside of the building.
0: Um we're, we're picking so it up pretty and, clearly. Oh That's, it's a little better. Is it
1: getting better?
0: A little better. There better? you go. That's good. Okay now. So how did you choose Sabin? Okay.
1: okay. Um, so I went to the debriefing and kind of the first meeting with the commission back in first week of September. And they were looking at the design and we had to meet with them and talk about, you know, what changes were going to happen going forward. And they said, you know, it looks like you've got some sculpture on here. And at the time, you know, I had like 324 linear feet of sculpture design.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: I, they said, do you, uh, do you know any sculptors? I said, well, no, I'm, I'm 25. I don't know any sculptures. I said, okay, well go, go find one. <laughs> um, so started wearing all 25-year-olds, too. I went to Google and quickly found that, you know, I was like, oh, man, there's this great sculptor Gaudin." It's like, I'm going to work with him. I uh, quickly found out he died back in, like, 1900. So...
0: <laughs> you have <a> good taste. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, in my searching, I came across the uh, National Sculpture Society, And they had, you know, 120 or so uh, listed contributing members. And I just sat down with a legal pad and just started clicking website to website. Um, And, you know, more of the filters were modern. I was looking for something not a little more on the classical side. But I wasn't sure fully what I was going to expect. And, you know, I think Saban was number 100 or so on the list. And I came to his website and just threw my list over my shoulder. I was like, this is absolutely what I want to work with. Um, There's a quality and craft about his work that you don't see anymore. And it was also kind of the idea of if I could do the sculptures myself, this is what I would want to do, this level of work. And so So, I sent Saban an email that night and he called me two hours later. If You were probably more on that side of the phone than, yeah. uh, than I've heard. So, um, but, yeah, and then he, you know, made arrangements and kind of wrapped up some of his other projects and jumped on right on board to help me with this. Um, and then I think we've gone, you know, almost every day or every couple of days with a phone call since, so seven, eight he- months.
0: You and I have never talked about it, but, you know, he came home from work, I think, and he said, you know, he said to me, I got this great email. Do you think I should call this guy? And I was like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) But it was a really nice, it was a very, you know, it was a very intelligent, look, Saban gets a lot of emails, and he gets a lot of weird emails, and he gets a lot of great emails. Um, And that was a great email. It was very, very beautifully written and we both thought it was so polite and you know, courtesy is a big thing in our house. We really admire that. So, um, so how did you and okay. Sabin start deciding on what ultimately became the design?
1: Yeah. Um, so having Fabian as the collaborator was really great because up until that point, I'd been working pretty much alone um, and having somebody who knew the sculpture and uh, kind of what it, Takes to get that done was really great because you know we said, okay, uh, I don't think we can do a 324 linear feet. It kind of cut me off in the first conversation. And so, right there, that was a design decision that had to kind of reverberate throughout the rest of the project. And so, I was like, okay, well, what do we do for the other walls? And are there other walls? Um, so, we went through three or four major design changes uh, and actually came back closer to the original by the end. Uh, but it was all very close of, okay, what's the experience like and how do you view the sculptures and what do they mean on the site? And so uh, he had, was working on uh, concept imagery and uh, photographing the live models. And we're going through photographs. And at the same time, Is was, okay, how in the park do you see this and what... What does it mean if you're coming out of this figure this way, and uh, how how are groupings going to be seen and appreciated, and should you move in one direction around this thing or multiple directions? And so, a lot of our conversations really influenced the final design that we ended up with. Um, and so, and again, that way, kind of Savin became an architect, and I took on the sculptor's role, and we just kind of went back and forth. Mm-hmm. on everything.
0: Well, yeah. It was a really, t- really great. He's always told me you're a terrific. genius. He's always been very clear with me about <laughs> that. So then what was it uh, like when, uh, when you found out you had won, how was it going into the final stretch and.
1: Uh, the final stretch was nerve wracking. I don't think I slept much the two nights before the, they made the decision. Um, Sometimes I wish they just kind of called me out of the blue and told me I got the project instead of you know having an exact date and said we will decide today at this time. It was hard waiting. It's very hard waiting for that decision to come down. Um, In the end, you know, I liked our chances, but at the same time, being unlicensed and so young, I knew that was kind of going against me in competition and. Also, you know, how much work I had been able to do as an individual. Like, I didn't have a full team behind me on this project. And so that was actually almost more nerve-wracking back in, I'd say, October, November, as we were trying to get all the work out and get the boards done for the final submission, was I'm sure these other firms are just doing incredible work and they're pulling all their resources. So... You actually think we ended up with a really strong presentation in the end and I'm glad things turned out the way they did. But yeah, those last couple of days were just incredibly nerve wracking.
0: What were your parents and your girlfriends saying to you then?
1: Uh, and they they weren't too surprised. Um everybody had gotten over it kind of with the the initial shock of making the short list and then from there on it was just all out encouragement. And um, so, you know, to ask them, they just say, oh, yeah, we weren't surprised. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: but I think at the same time, there were still a little bit of shock. Yeah.
0: So you've been on quite the ride for a 25-year-old since hearing. What <laughs> have you learned? What have you uh, learned along this, uh, in the last, you know, several months?
1: Oh, I've oh, learned so much in the last couple of months. Um, up until... I don't know. Up until January, say, and I think anybody who knew me would say I was a very quiet person. Um, I've got since gotten quite the crash course in public speaking and PR, and that's been a big change in my life. Um, especially now that we're kind of moving to the fundraising stage for this project, um, going out and trying to meet donors or give presentations in front of large crowds about you know this project. Is not something that I would have done before the competition came along, or even I would say before January.
0: Huh?
1: So that that's been a big change. Um, on the well, on the design side, it's been interesting and really exciting game to work with all the agencies uh, who have a stake in this project. Um, and through that, I've learned a lot. Um, things on you know, how to run a business and how to run a project even further than I have before. Because um, I haven't done a project of this scale uh, in my career. <laughs> of course, everything <laughs> up to this point has been, you know, residential. Um, even stuff that I was working on in Chicago, you know, it was, it was big and had similar budgets, but uh, it all seemed a little more manageable than, you know, getting a big project right in downtown D.C. There's a wide, parts and pieces uh, that I'm learning about all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So what yeah. in you, what in you are the resources, what are your internal resources for handling this ride that you're on? Um,
1: <laughs> you know, I'd still say, you know, being quiet occasionally Helps because, in, and growing up as a quiet person really helps because it always meant that I was a good listener um, and knew kind of when to speak my mind on things. And in this process, it's really good to listen and take in all the information um, that all these agencies and the client and the commission are all have to get out and then figure out how to synthesize that into what really people are looking for. Um, cause sometimes you'll get people who say, you know, we want something that's moving and powerful, but they won't get into the detail beyond that. And so then you have to really read them more and more to figure out, okay, what you have to get them, get to know them as people and find out what those things mean in their lives. Um, and I would say, you know, meeting with the veterans who I've met through this has also been very, like, a really great experience because you, the more you get to know those people and find out, you know, why they went to war and what their experience was like, all things that we can contribute to the design.
0: Right. Yes. What are some of the major challenges you've faced so far? And some of the major rewards.
1: Um, so the the biggest challenge to overcoming this whole thing was my age, um, kind of from day one. But it was also surprisingly a really good asset to have as well. Um, when I was looking for firms to work with in DC, I actually got turned down by four firms. Um, surprisingly, they either didn't want to do another project in D.C., or they didn't think that, you know, as a 25-year-old, I could pull off this project. Um, And so in that sense, you know, the age really played against me, and I think even in the final decision of the jury, they had doubts that I could do this project. Uh, But on the flip side, you know, my age also became an advantage, because I didn't have kind of the baggage of years of working with different firms and clients and so we and I decided that you know I need to find a sculptor it's like well why don't I just go after the best sculptor in the country or when I need a firm or a landscape architect well I'm just going to go after the best landscape architect in the country because you know what else is there like if I don't get that person okay fine but you know I have the opportunity to try uh uh-huh. and since I didn't have the team, it was like, okay, well, I'm forming a team from scratch here, and I'm just going to form the best team I can. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, in the end, that really had played to mm-hmm. getting the project, I think, because the commission saw that even though I was a young person, you know, I'd done all this work to pull together the team that could do it. Um, and then it didn't become as much about me having to pull off the project as, okay, now we have these really great professionals who are going to take it on.
0: And how have you had to think outside the box in order to be successful?
1: Hmm. Um, So at this point I'm, I'd say almost more busy than I've ever been in my life uh, because I'm working – still a consultant at Brandon Still and Lynch. Uh, I have a uh, business that's advertised on my website, JW Designs, uh, which also handles renderings and small projects. Um, I've got the memorial competition going on and traveling and doing fundraising for the memorial. So trying to balance all of those things has really started to kind of stretch my brain a little bit. Um, but the decision to keep Doing all of the things that I wanted to, um, in order to just always have some safety net in my career, uh, it was a good decision I think on my part. But um, I was really stretched in making those decisions of okay, is it is the time right to you know start pursuing a professional career or you know, do I need to hold back a bit longer? And I'm you know, I'm glad I took the the leap, I with both feet off the edge um, into you know, starting my career, but um, yeah, I always so you, wonder what it'd be like if I hadn't done that.
0: Well, let me ask and you. And I don't think you it talked, would be
1: anything like this.
0: You've you've talked a couple times about decision making during our interview. Mm-hmm. So how do, how in the end do you make a decision? Like do you you you're, you sound like a very thoughtful person? It sounds like you really wrestle with the decision. Mm-hmm. So in the end, how do you make the decision? Is it gut? Is it brain? Is it instinct? What is it?
1: Um, so it's <laughs> I'm a big person who likes the uh, pros and cons list, and that's usually you know the clearest and fastest way for me to make a big decision like this. Um, but still, with the memorial, there are a lot of unknowns, and even though the pro the pros on my list were, hey, this could like launch your career. And you know you can start out a, a firm the way you want to run one uh, with a great, huge, successful project. So th- you know that's okay like a great pro. Um, but the con is, you know, can you do this, and or do you have the financial resources to do it? You know, what was it going to mean three months from now? Are you going to run out of money and? Then the dream is over. So I have to kind of balance reality a little bit with uh, all the pros, um, and half the time, I feel like reality is my biggest uh, biggest con on the top of the list. But mm-hmm. um, sometimes there are things, and you know, taking a step back a lot of time and just saying, okay, you know, even if this fails, and this is kind of what I did in the memorial. I said, even if this just ends up being a huge failure go for it, and you know you never know how it's going to turn out, so there have been a couple times like that that there's just way too much that can be gained from a decision, you just have to go for it, and and same thing kind of happened when I moved to Chicago I said, okay, I have no idea where I'm going to live, or uh, (laughs) survive, or where it's going to go, but you know, practicing architecture is what I want to do, and this is a great place to start. So I just jump for it. Um,
0: And where do you find the internal resources to do that, to make that jump? What gives you the internal fortitude?
1: I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, I really wish I knew some days. Um,
0: What have you found to be the best tool to help you on your path to being successful?
1: Hmm. Uh, Keeping a level head. Um, you can't overrun your resources and you can't just try and do everything. Um, especially now I'm finding that I can't say yes to every single person who wants something. And that's, that's been hard. Um, but you know, trying not to just go crazy because I've talked to lots of my friends and they said, of you know, if this were me and I had just got on this project, you know, I'd be out in the streets just yelling and like Mm -hmm. shouting my own praises and all stuff. And they're like, and you're not doing that. I'm like, well, you know, I'm doing that in my own head, but at the same time, I realize that you have to wake up again tomorrow and this project has to get done. And so the better you can kind of balance that real world expectation and what it's going to mean moving forward. It's easier for me to kind of keep a level head.
0: Well, you know, David in the chat room, um, typed that he loved your answer, but that's a great answer. Oh, okay. Great. great, great. Where do you see your work, Joe? I know you've started your own business. Where do you see your work in mm-hmm. five years and 10 years and 20 years? I mean, you've got, you started off with a bang. Where do you go from here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in five years, the memorial will hopefully be done. And, you know, I think a lot of people, especially in the architecture profession, are waiting to see what I do next. Um, and I think I'm kind at that level, too. Uh, hopefully, you know, there will be more projects that come out of this. And, you know, I kind of tend to still like projects that are you know, small, single-family, residential Project uh, things where you really get to know a client and uh, get to share their experience, um, and I think that's what also kind of draws me to the Memorial Project is there is a very human quality about it, and all of the design decisions, no matter how grand the thing gets, have to still be reflected in the work that you know this is being made by people for people and that kind of work gets me really excited um, that a more emotive quality that a work can have and you know it's not just uh, some concrete and um, some wood kind of stuck together you can actually feel things when you go to buildings um, and be transformed by wonderful spaces
0: Mm -hmm. Who inspires you? Who are your models?
1: Um, so I've always been a huge fan of the work of Luke Kahn, um, architect starting from 1950s through 70s. Uh, I always thought that the clarity in his work was just unrivaled. Um, and probably the other more contemporary architect um, is Peter Zumthor. And I'm not sure if that's just a product of you know, him really coming to the limelight when I was starting uh, out in architecture school. Um, but I've been to several of his buildings when I was over in Europe, and some of the details, you just have to wonder if he sold his soul <laughs> for the detail, because they are perfect, in uh, at least to uh, architects. So um, I look at both of those people as uh, really having to work that is timeless. Um, and, you know, more than anything, that's what I want to create.
0: So we have about seven minutes left. Can you just tell listeners, okay. like, where they can find out about you, how they can connect with you, and so forth? And then I'll ask you more questions.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so people who are interested in kind of what I've been up to uh, can go to my website, which is uh, com. That's Weishaar Designs dot com. Uh, if you want to see the memorial um, or even donate, um, they can go to the website for the memorial, which is ww one and forward slash design. Um, if anybody wants to contact me individually, um, my email is joseph dot dot one at gmail dot com.
0: And do you want to, since you are fundraising, fundraiser, oh, do you want to make a short pitch yeah. to my listeners for why they should contribute and why the memorial is important?
1: Yes, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my new track at the moment, it seems like, is a fundraiser. Um, so, yeah, we're looking for, I think, $45 million, um, or at least any grassroots contribution, where, however much that comes in. Um, to build this wonderful memorial, and it's not something that I think comes up every day and that this is a very important thing because it is about veterans who served hundred years ago um and it's surprising that it's actually become really important these days because what it means to you know current veterans and active military is. That when their time comes, they won't be forgotten. Um, this is, in many ways, a forgotten war, and we're trying to bring it back. Um, and, you know, hopefully, any other future wars will also get the same respect that sacrifice means, um, mm. especially to the people of this country. Um, and I hope that anybody who donates, you know, really the reward is that in five years or however long when they come visit the memorial, they can tell their children and grandchildren, you know, why these men fought and served and died for their country. Uh, And they can say, you know what, and I contribute in some way to helping build this memorial for them.
0: That's a great pitch. I love that. Joe? Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So I'm going to go back to you. Um, what do you do in your spare time? Do you have any?
1: <laughs> uh, at the moment I don't. Um, uh, when I did have spare time, uh I was uh an oil pastel painter. Um and you know, actually you did uh two art shows in Chicago. Um and yeah, since this has come up, I haven't unfortunately had time to do any more painting. Um, there are a couple things on my website if people want to check out my uh, pastel work. Um, and let's see, other hobbies. Uh, I love the outdoors. I love going camping and backpacking. And, again, that's something that you know, I, both I don't really have time for. And the second part of that is I live in Chicago, and there doesn't seem to be much nature in Chicago.
0: Uh, so so you're looking forward to uh, noise again. Can you move away from the beach?
1: Oh yeah, so I'm not sure where it's coming from. Um, okay, getting better.
0: Yeah, it's better. Thank you. It's still a little bit there, but it's better. Okay. There we go. That's better. Much better.
1: Awesome.
0: So you love the outdoors, you know I do too. But every time Saban offers to take me to go camping, I always tell him that if God had intended us to poop outside he wouldn't have given us the brains to invent plumbing. So I, I like the outdoors, right. but then I want to sleep in a hotel room. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well and that's actually you kind know, of what makes me really interesting as an architect. Um all the other people all the other architects I know hate the outdoors kind of. Um and they tell me that exact same thing. Is, you know we're architects so we can stay inside. Put <laughs> <instead> up <of> walls.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, What's
0: yeah. a fun fact so, about no, I, I love it. What's a fun fact people might not know about you?
1: Um, let's see. So between – so I was really big into camping and hiking. Uh, of course, while I was younger. Um, between the ages of, of 11 and 19, uh, I spent more than a year of my life living in that tent. Really? Uh, just, yeah. Uh, Without backpacking camping that much. Okay. Got yeah, uh, close to about 400 nights of camping.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, that's cool. What else yeah. might not people know about um, you?
1: Um, I play three instruments. That, that surprises a lot of people.
0: That does surprise uh, me.
1: What yeah, uh, started with guitar, uh, piano, and then played trumpet for seven years.
0: did trumpet for seven years—that's great. David in the chat room just wrote, the architecture building at Rensselaer had lights on day and night. (laughs) Yes, it does. Uh,
1: We made up uh, t-shirts a couple years ago uh, in school that just said, uh, hey, Jones School of Architecture, uh, we'll leave the light on for you. Uh, It was notorious. It was the only building on campus that was lit up 24-7. And Thankfully I don't know how I did it, but I pulled uh only one all nighter uh my entire five years of school. I was the only person in my class to do that. Wow! Um, most of the time they they joke that I 'cause I would leave at like ten o'clock at night and uh I just started up a like one way round trip flight to Vegas. And so they would joke that you know, I leave at ten, go to Vegas and then come back on the morning flight. Um, That's hilarious. Because Joe? everybody else just was, yes.
0: We're, we're running out of time. Yep. i got to let you go. It's okay. been amazing yep. to have you on. I'd love to have you on again. So thank you for being such a great guest.
1: Oh, no, this was wonderful.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thanks, yeah, and thanks for having me on. So um, I'm going to let you go, and thanks again. Okay. So that was the one and only Joseph Weishauer, whom I call a genius and a wonderkind. And you can find him at his um, website, weishauerdesign.com. So this has been Tracy Slattin. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next time.